And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Frank Lovejoy stars in an exciting drama of high adventure on escape from 1948. Then Brian Donlevy is the guest star on part one of a comedy installment of The Burns and Allen Show from 1943. Well, there's no Lisa, so we're going to tune in to Escape. Let's go back to a broadcast date of January 21st, 1948, for Papa Benjamin, starring Frank Lovejoy. Here's part one of Escape. You are groping down a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans, driven by terror, hounded by the curse of the Papaloi, a curse from which there is no escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape into two worlds, one of modern jazz, the other of primitive voodoo, and to a doomed man who brought them together, as William Irish imagined it in his eerie story, Papa Benjamin. Holdings Police Department, 4th Precinct, Sergeant Tolliver speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pick him up on a drunk 723. Right. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Are you in charge here? Yeah. Hey, aren't you Eddie Block, the band leader? That's right. Hey, Joe, look who's here, Eddie Block. Well, never thought we'd get a visit from a big celebrity like you, Mr. Block. And at four o'clock in the morning. I suppose, though, this is just the shank of the evening for a big shot orchestra leader. Well, what can we do for you, Mr. Block? I've just killed a man. Uh, you're, you're kidding. I tell you, I've just killed a man. I guess you've been working too hard, Mr. Block. You, you're imagining things. Here, here's the gun. Look at it. Uh, sit down, Mr. Block. Better have a drink of water. You'll feel better. Oh, no. I'm all right. Sarge? Yeah? This gun's been used all right. Smell. Hmm. Was it an accident, Mr. Block? No. Well, who'd you use it on? Who was it? I don't know his name. They uh, call him Papa Benjamin. Sounds like yeah. a white man? No, he was a Negro. Oh, well, now, in New Orleans... Oh, we... no. No, no, it, it was nothing like that. Well, what was he doing to you? He was killing me. Huh? Killing you? Uh, but how? Look at me. I used to weigh 200 pounds. I'm down to 102. Well, how? How was he killing you? Would you believe in anything you can't see, can't hear, can't touch? 
Well... I've been to the biggest doctors in the world. They don't believe me. How can I expect you to? I'll simply say I'm cracked and let it go at that. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in an asylum. Ah, look, Mr. Block. You say he was a Negro named Papa Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. He was an old, old man. Eighty, maybe ninety. Skin and bones, he could hardly walk. And I shot him. You sure? You, you sure you killed him? Yeah, of course. Well, where? I don't know exactly. In a little back alley in the Vieux Carré. Near Congo Square. Uh, supposing you take us there. Can you do that? Then maybe we'll find out this is just a bad dream. This is the alley. To the right, between the buildings. All right, let's go. You pack, Sarge? <laughs> And catch cold without it. Mm-hmm. Don't go back there, honey. Quiet, you. Oh, cops. <laughs> nice neighborhood. This is it. In that door and up the stairs. Oh, come on. Oh, no, no. Don't make me go up there again, please. Better come, Mr. Block. You're showing us. Hey, flash your light. There's somebody here on the stairs. Huh? <gasps> Where's, where is he? Uh, he won't bother us. Dead drunk. Step over and let's go. This ain't the most pleasant neighborhood to come calling in. This it? Yeah. In that door. Come on. Better call a commissioner. Mr. Block wasn't kidding. This man's dead. But why? Why? Because he was killing me, Commissioner. It was self-defense. He never came near me once. I was the one who went to him. I offered him 3,000, 10,000, any amount, and he refused. Finally, I offered him my gun and asked him to shoot me with it, to get it over with quickly, not to drag it out any longer. Then when he said no, you shot him. Yeah. So you can lock me up now. Mr. Block, do you think we want to hang a murder rap on you, one of the most popular celebrities in the United States? Use your head. Now, I'm trying to find an out for you. He was killing me. Look, an 80-year-old colored man who's so feeble he can't even go upstairs by himself, who has to have his food pulled up to him in a basket, is killing who? A stumble bum his own age? No. Mr. Eddie Block, the top band leader of America, who can name his own price anywhere, who has about everything a man can want. Tell me just one thing, Mr. Block. How was he killing you? By thinking thought ways of death that reached me through the air. Now, Mr. Block... You want to hush the whole thing up, don't you? No. No, Mr. Block. But I'm going to get the whole story. So you might as well start telling me. From the beginning. All right. It began one night about two years ago. We were playing at Maxim's on Charles Street. Just another band. Small Dixieland outfit then. Eddie blocking his chips. 
Judy Jarvis, my wife, did the vocals. But we weren't setting the world on fire. Business was so bad, I knew what to expect when I got a call from the manager one night after closing time. Robert! Oh, hi, Eddie. I, uh, thought we'd better have a little talk. Ah, it's, uh, that bad, huh? We took in 4500 this week. Yeah, I see. And, uh, you can cancel my contract any time it falls under 5000 I, uh, get it. Eddie, they can get the same liquor and sandwiches anywhere, but they'll go where the band has something. Tonight there were more waiters in the place than customers. Judy didn't even get a hand. It's not her fault. I know it's not her fault. She's okay, but... Well, I'm asking you, what's wrong? I I don't know. I'm getting the latest arrangement sent to me from New York. We sweat our heads bald rehearsing. This is New Orleans, practically the cradle of jazz. You gotta give them something new. I know, I know, I know. When do I leave? Well, finish the week up. See if you can do something about it by Monday. If not, I'll have to wear St. Louis to get Kruger's band. I'm sorry, Eddie. Oh, that's okay. You're not running a charity bazaar. But I didn't feel so cocky about it. It looked like we were on the skids. The band just didn't seem to have it. And I wasn't good enough to figure out why and pull him out of it. I was feeling pretty low when I went back to the deserted bandstand to pick up some music. The place was dark and empty, except for a couple of scrub women cleaning up. A dark nightclub can be an eerie place sometimes. I got that feeling just before I saw it. Saw it lying on the floor between the stands was a severed chicken claw with a red ribbon tied around it. I almost laughed. How did that thing get there? Then I picked it up and tossed it out of the floor where the scrub women were cleaning up. I certainly wasn't expecting the reaction I got. They took one look, turned, and ran out. I just recovered from that surprise and was bending down to pick up some music that had slipped to the floor when I heard someone come in. I guess I was pretty well hidden from view. Anyway, he didn't see me. It was Johnny Stats, my drummer, and he was acting funny, looking intently at the floor, searching for something. Suddenly, he spotted this chicken claw on the floor and grabbed it up with a terrific sigh of relief, stuffed it into his pocket and walked out. What I did then, I did on a strange impulse, and it changed the whole course of my life. I followed Johnny's stats. I suppose I just meant to catch up with him and have a cup of coffee with him somewhere and ask about the chicken claw. But as I followed him farther and farther down into the view carré, down to Congo Square, it was a growing curiosity that kept me on his trail. When he turned into that dark alleyway, I stopped and debated. I felt like an eavesdropper, and yet something drew me on. And I walked up that dark alley. I passed that one lighted window. Don't go no further, honey. But I went on. Through a sort of tunnel into another alleyway. And then I stopped. Ahead of me, Johnny Stat stood before a dark, dismal-looking old wreck of a building. Suddenly, he whistled quietly. A gigantic man appeared 
out of the shadows. Johnny handed him the chicken claw and was motioned into the building. And then I heard sounds coming from the upstairs of that building. A throbbing drum, a wailing, an unearthly sound, and yet wonderful. An exotic, fascinating rhythm. This was music. Something new, something sensational. Something that would set New Orleans on its ear and put Eddie Block in the big time. I had to get in there and hear it. I was mighty busy for the next five minutes. I ran back down the alley, overturning five or six garbage cans before I found what I needed. Then back to that lighted window in the alley and a five spot in exchange for a red ribbon. Then I was back at the dark building, walking up to that menacing shadow. Lila, let me see your face. Okay, okay. Easy, with that knife. My ribs are tender. Your face never been here before. My friend Johnny Stats up there. He'll tell you. Mr. Johnny, your friend? Yes, you'll come? This, uh, this chicken claw told me to come. Papa Benjamin sent you there? Certainly. You'll make me late. Papa Benjamin won't like that. All right, go along in. First thing you know, all New Orleans is going to be I groped up the stairs, half expecting to feel his knife in my back. But I got to the top safely. Cautiously, I opened the door and slipped The room was full of people. They were in such a state of frenzy, I wasn't even noticed. I slipped into a corner and slid down by the wall, sitting on the floor. That was a sight I'll never forget. Wild, fantastic, hideous, revolting, fascinating. In the center of the room was an incredibly old man, naked to the waist, wearing a hideous mask and holding a live chicken. There were wild gestures, weird incantations, frantic dancing, shouting, rolling of eyes. There was blood. And always there was a chant. Nobody noticed me. After a moment, I took a piece of copy paper out of my pocket and began putting down the notes. It was wonderful. Fantastic and wonderful. In ten minutes, I had it. And I'd seen enough, enough for a lifetime of nightmares. I began to feel sick. I wanted to get out. I started to stand up. Suddenly, the room went dead. A stranger is here. His bony arm stretched out straight from the shoulder, pointing at me like an arrow. And there was blood on it. What you do here? I... I know this man. Let me find out. No one moved. There was no sound in the room as Johnny Stats came over and squatted beside me. You're in terrible trouble, Eddie. I don't know if I can get you out of it. What is this, Stats? And what are you doing here? There's no time to talk now. You've got to do something quicker. You'll be a dead man. Why? I'm in the very heart of New Orleans. They wouldn't dare. Listen, you've seen enough tonight. You know better. Eddie, there's only one way. What? Join. Become one of us. Oh, it's no. It's the only way, Eddie. I can't save you. You'd better hurry up, because unless you do, you'll never get out of here alive. You know what this is, don't you? This is voodoo. Okay, sure. I'll join up. Why not? Uh, wait a minute, Eddie. There's a lot more to it than you think. Unless you're serious, it'd be better to get cut to pieces right now. All right, don't worry. I'm serious. All right. 
Popoloy. His spirit wishes to join our spirits. The old man burned some feathers while the others watched silently. Then he nodded. It came out all right. He reads them. The spirits are willing. There were other things. Rituals, ceremonies, another sacrifice. Then as the chanting started again, they brought me the sacrificial bowl. I didn't have to be told what was in it. I started to draw back. Break, Eddie. Break or they'll kill you on the spot. Late next morning, the band assembled at Maxim's for a rehearsal. When Johnny Stats got there, he found another drummer sitting in his place. Naturally, he came to me. What's all this about, Eddie? I don't want any voodoo lover in my band. That's all, Stats. Here's a check for two weeks' salary. So you're crossing them, are you? Boy, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for all the gold in Fort Knox. If you mean that uh, bad dream last night, I haven't told anybody and I won't. I'd be laughed at. I'm only remembering what I can use of it. The jungle is just trees to me, the Congo a river, and the nighttime is just a time for electric lights. Yeah, but this new number you're going to rehearse this morning. I said I'd remember what I can use. Listen, Eddie, that chant is sacred. It's secret. It was secret. Eddie, don't do it. Look, here's a couple of C-notes. Hand them these. That ought to pay up my dues from now to doomsday, and I don't want a receipt. And if they try putting poison in my orange juice, they'll end up in a chain gang. It's not that easy, Eddie. You're one of us now. Oh, get out. Uh, okay. Goodbye, dead men. Graham, the manager of the club, changed his mind about canceling our contract when he heard us rehearse the chant. Instead, he spent five G's in publicity. And Saturday night was set for the big unveiling... Seemed like all New Orleans tried to jam into Maxim's. Came to hear the voodoo chant, the real thing. Just before we were ready to hit it, Judy came up to me. Eddie, listen, let's not do it. Oh, what do you mean, baby, not do it? This is it. This is our ticket to the big time. It'll be a sensation. Yeah, I know, but I, I got a funny feeling. And look, I found this under your dressing room door just now. It sounds like a warning. Somebody doesn't want you to play that number. Let me see. You can summon the spirits, but can you dismiss them again? Think well. <laughs> Forget it, baby. Stats is trying to scare me because I fired him. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, come on, honey, let's go. There we Maxim takes great pleasure in bringing you a historic moment in musical history. You're about to hear for the first time anywhere the voodoo chant, the age-old ceremonial rhythm no one but the initiated has ever heard before. This is the real thing. An accurate transcription, not a note's been changed. So, ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Block and his chips present for the first time anywhere, the Voodoo Chant. for more, but we were playing it safely. Once a night, that'd pack him in. After it was over, I went back to our dressing room. Judy got there before me. She was reading a newspaper somebody had brought in. Eddie, listen. Oh, baby, you were wonderful, and we wowed him. We're in the money yeah, now. Yeah, Eddie, but... Oh, uh... boy, am I tired. I feel more tired than I've ever felt in my life. Nervous strain, I guess, huh? Let down. Eddie, look here in the paper. Oh, who cares about the paper now? Eddie... It's Johnny Stats. Huh? He's dead. He drowned himself in Lake Pontchartrain this afternoon. He... This afternoon? 
Then that note, it wasn't Johnny. Oh, well, look, Eddie, you can't blame yourself. Me? Oh, no, 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 no. No, of course not, but I think I know who to blame. What do you mean? Nothing, nothing. Eddie, why don't you lie down and rest for a few minutes? You look worn out. Yeah, I am. I, I feel dead. Here, let me take off your coat. Oh, be careful. What's the matter? I don't know. Funny thing, while I was waving the baton on the chant, I, I felt something, a sharp pain there in my back, like a pin or something stuck in me. I don't feel anything there now. Maybe it slipped down. I don't know. Couldn't have been much. There. Now, you just lie down. You'll feel better in a few minutes. You've been working too hard. You should relax now. Maybe take a few days off. Hey, Eddie, look here. Where did this come from? What? It's a little doll. It was lying on the dressing table. Hey, Eddie, it looks just like you. Let me see. That's funny. Look, they're in the back. There's a little pin sticking in the bag. Yes. That's right where I felt the pain. And that's the first portion of Escape. We'll have more after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. This is Hollywood 360, and we're tuning in to Escape. Let's get back to Papa Benjamin now from 1948. That started it. The next day, I had a backache. Later, there was a numbness that spread to my shoulders, arms, legs. I felt tired all the time, listless, dead. I began to lose weight. I couldn't get Johnny's stats out of my mind. He'd introduced me to them, vouched for me, and he'd committed suicide. He knew. He hadn't waited. I decided to get out of New Orleans. I went to New York, playing the chant, of course. I had to. It was my biggest asset now. But nothing changed. I was losing weight. From a husky 200 down to 160. I couldn't sleep. Maybe if I put an ocean between. I took an offer in London. Toured the continent. Away a year. I was an international hit now. The biggest attraction in music. But I was down to 110. Dying on my feet. The doctors couldn't figure it out. Reynolds in London told me. You're as normal, Mr. Block, as anyone I ever examined. You're so well balanced that you haven't even got that extra little touch of imagination most actors and musicians have. I guess that's true, Doctor. I'm just mediocre. And yet, you might say, my success is killing me. And so, after two years, I finally realized it was no use. I came back. Back to New Orleans. Back to the dark alleyway down near Congo Square. I could just barely drag myself along. But I had to see Papa Benjamin. I slowly climbed the stairs. Up to that loathsome door. I went in. There he was. Papa Benjamin, staring at me from the bed as if he'd been expecting me. 
And then he started to laugh. Take that curse off me. Give me my life. I'll do anything, anything you say. What? Been done cannot be undone. You think spirits of earth, air, fire, water, know what forgiveness means? Intercede for me, then. You brought it about. Here's money. I'll give you twice as much. All I earn. All I ever hope to earn. You have fouled the Obaya. Death has been on you from that night. All over world, in the air above, you have mocked spirit with the chant that summons him. And please, please, here's a gun. Kill me now and be done with it. I can't stand anymore. All you have to do is shoot. I'll write a note, sign it, that I did it myself. It will come. What different? Slow. Oh, slow. Oh, no, no, no. I can't stand it. I won't. I won't. Maybe if I kill you. Maybe then the spell will be broken. Uh, no. Yeah, that's no, no, I'll kill you. No, no. And that's all, Commissioner. And I came here. To the police station. You know the rest. Well? All right, Mr. Block. Don't believe me, do you? Yes, I believe you. Not about the curse, of course. That was your own mind. They planted the suggestion in your mind you did the rest. But it's plain that you killed in self-defense. Crazy kind of self-defense, but I think we can manage it. We'll try. The commissioner managed it all right. How is almost a story in itself. How a detective with a moulage false face posed as Papa Benjamin and called the voodoo clan together and into a trap. How they collected the evidence that proved my story. And how they sent most of that voodoo bunch to jail. My name wasn't even connected with the case. So now I'm free. I'm living again. I've gained weight. The tiredness and the numbness is gone. I took a nice vacation. I went to Bermuda, relaxed, and had fun. Now I'm back in New Orleans at Maxim's, and the whole thing is forgotten. We're opening tonight, and the place is packed. Everybody's come to hear the chant. Eddie Block and the chant. We're on our way now. Nothing can stop us. And now, ladies and gentlemen... We welcome back on his triumphal return, Eddie Block and his chips playing for you the one and only Voodoo Chant. Look at them, Judy. They're eating it up, aren't they? Yeah. What's the matter? I was hoping I'd never hear this thing again. What do you mean? It's your trademark, yours and Eddie's. I tried to persuade him not to do it, and he wouldn't listen. Why? You aren't imagining all that voodoo stuff. I don't know. 
It was all in his mind and it nearly killed him. I don't think you can put it out of your mind if it gets at least. When Eddie plays it again... Oh, nice. Hey, wait a minute. Look at Eddie. There's something wrong. What? Well, he's staggering. Eh? Judy, now wait. Here, let me pick him up. He's probably just fainted from the excitement. No! No, leave him alone. He's dead. <laughs> I guess Papa Benjamin won after all. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Papa Benjamin by William Irish. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Frank Lovejoy as Eddie Block, Louis Van Ruten as Papa Benjamin, Harry Bartell as the police commissioner, and Joan Banks as Judy. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Good night, then, until the same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape from January 21st, 1948, with Papa Benjamin, starring Frank Lovejoy. Also in the cast, Louis Van Ruten, Harry Bartell, and Joan Banks, as heard on CBS. This is Hollywood 360. I'm your host, Carl Amari, and it's time now for part one of the Burns and Allen Show. Let's go back to January 19th, 1943, for George Burns and Gracie Allen, along with their special guest, Brian Donlevy. Come right in. Oh, George, we've got company. This is Bill Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap. Well, it's Tuesday night again. Time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, their guest, Brian Donlevy, Jimmy Cash, and Paul Whiteman and his music. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, it's morning at the Burns home, a very special morning. And we find Gracie upstairs talking to her little duck, Herman, while she puts on her most charming and alluring negligee. Well, Herman, do you know why Mama's getting all dressed up this morning? Uh Uh-uh. Well, it's my wedding anniversary. It was on this day that I married your daddy, George. I could have married the banker's son, but I picked George instead. Oh, Herman, you mustn't feel that way. Daddy George is a wonderful man, and I love him better than anybody in the world. Don't cry, baby. I mean, I love him better than anybody in the world that doesn't have feathers. Oh. <laughs> oh, Herman, I'll never forget my wedding day. I was all dressed in white and the organ was playing. Da 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 George always takes the package out of his pocket, and I always say, for me? And he always says, yes, darling. And I always say, I wonder what could be in it as I unwrap the perfume. (laughs) Well, I better hurry down. George will be so thrilled when he sees my new negligee. Well, 
George! How do I look? You better go and put some clothes on. You catch cold. <laughs> well, George, don't you know what it means when a wife puts on her nicest negligee? Yeah, too lazy to get dressed. <laughs> George Burns, do you know what day this is? Sure, Tuesday. Yes, but it's January 19th. Oh, sure. Gosh, I'm getting absent-minded. Oh, I knew you'd remember. Of course. This is the day I go to the barbershop to get my scalp treatment. Oh. But, sweetheart, it's not that bad. I'm just a little thin on top. I've got plenty of hair left. I don't care how much hair you've got left. You couldn't be any more of a beast if you were an ape. Hey, what's going on here? What is it? Don Devino. She's all excited because I'm losing a little hair. Now, Gracie, stop crying. What's the matter? Oh, my, my husband doesn't love me anymore, Tootsie. My marriage is going on the rocks. Oh, is that all? I thought someone had stolen all your butter. <laughs> but George, George forgot our wedding anniversary today. Oh, that's nothing. Lots of husbands do that. Well, Papa's never forgotten his anniversary. The minute he sneezes in the morning, he runs out and gets Mama a present. The minute he sneezes? Uh-huh. Their wedding anniversary falls on the same day his hay fever starts. <laughs> oh, but you see, George hasn't anything to remind him, Gracie. He hasn't got hay fever. I know. Isn't it awful? <laughs> oh, George doesn't appreciate you. But just let some other man flirt with you and see how jealous he'll get. Huh? Gracie, that's an idea. I'll make him jealous. Oh, but I couldn't flirt with another man, Tootsie. When I married George, I made up my mind that romance was over for me. <laughs> now, look, Gracie, suppose I get a date and go out with you and George, and then my date will flirt with you. Oh, but I don't want to even lead him on. You don't have to. Any man who goes out with me always flirts with the other girl. <laughs> well, I, I guess the double date would be all right. I'll try anything to make George love me again. Good. Oh, look who's running up the walk. Just the man for my half, Bill Goodwin. <laughs> oh, but he won't go out with me. Well, maybe I can fix it, Tootsie. Hiya, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. Hello, Tootsie. Hello, Bill. <laughs> oh, Tootsie. Tootsie, calm down. You get excited when you just hear a pair of pants. Well, I tell you, I'm kind of out of breath from doing my road work. You see, I got the idea from my pal, Brian Donlevy. He lives just down the street. You know, uh, Briny and I were in Wake Island together. I always call him Briny. Uh, what does he call you? Uh, Sam. He never can remember my name. <laughs> Gracie, ask about the date. Oh, yes. Uh, Bill, would you like to have a blind date tonight? No, I like him sober. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I don't mean that. This girl is crazy about you, Bill. Well, uh, is she beautiful? Uh, she's friendly. Is she beautiful? Well, she's a good sport. Gracie, is she beautiful? Uh, she uses swan soap. My dream girl. <laughs> well, does she know that swan is purer than the finest Castiles? Does she know that money can't buy a purer soap? Oh, sure. She's very seductive. Really? Well, does she know that swan's great for washing the dishes because it suds faster than other white floating soaps? 
And with Swan in the dishpan, you don't have to worry about your hands. Because Swan is purer than the finest Castiles, it helps keep your hands lovely. That's why you should use it for every soap and water job. For instance, for washing your hankies, hose, and undies. <laughs> Bill, I wash my hankies, hose, and undies with Swan, and now they look beautiful. Yeah, Tootsie, you ought to try it on your face, too. <laughs> and remember this, Tootsie, Swan breaks in two with an easy twist of the wrist, so you can use half in the kitchen for dishes and cleaning, and the other half in the bathroom for your hands and face. Well, uh, I better get on with my road work if I want to be like Brian Donlevy. Oh, wait, Bill. How about that blind date? <laughs> Gracie, are her initials by any chance T. Sagwell? Well, yes. Well, forget it, Gracie. The date may be blind, but I'm not. Goodbye. <laughs> there goes our double date. All he's interested in is looking like Brian Donlevy. Gracie, Brian Donlevy. Where? I mean, he's just the man to make George jealous. Oh, well, do you think you I should? Are you girls still in the huddle? What's so interesting? Well, George, if a certain husband neglected a certain wife, do you think that certain wife should make that certain husband jealous so he'll sit up and take notice? I certainly do. Is, uh, is the wife pretty? Oh, she's very pretty. <laughs> well, bring her over. I'll make her jealous. <laughs> Don Levy's house must be right around you somewhere, Gracie. Yes, Bill said. Oh, there it is, across the street. See, there's Mr. Don Levy in the yard, skipping rope. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got nothing on but his shorts. Isn't he gorgeous? <laughs> well, I don't think he's as pretty as George. George has such nice, smooth arms. But look at those things on Mr. Don Levy. <laughs> I think they call them muscles. <laughs> well, some people think they look nice on a man. Uh, well, come on, let's make the date. Oh, wait, Tootsie. You know, maybe it's my fault George doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm not as attractive as I used to be. Oh, don't be silly. I'll bet if you went over and flirted with Brian Donlevy, you'd find out how attractive you are. But, Tootsie, I'm married. And George is a very sweet husband. I'm sure if I'd met him sooner, he'd have given me the best years of his life. <laughs> but, Gracie, you'd be doing it for George's sake. Well, all right. I'll go over and flirt with Brian Donlevy, but it's certainly an odd way to make a husband happy. <laughs> Gee, I hope I'm still attractive. Well, uh, good luck, Gracie. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, uh, hello. Hello. Aren't you Brian Donlevy? Yep. What's the matter? You got something in your eye? No, no, I'm winking at you. I'm a flirt. <laughs> You're a flirt. Oh, oh, a flirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's sort of a young vampire. Mm -hmm. um, don't you think I'm cute? Yes, as a matter of fact, you are. A little direct, but cute. Uh, well, do you really think I'm cute? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, uh, if you were standing on a corner and I passed by, would you say... <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm much too well-bred. But I might murmur... <laughs> oh, oh, thank goodness. Do it again. 
Oh, you don't know what music that is to my ears. Uh, do you have a name or do I just whistle for you? Oh, oh, oh no, no. My name is Gracie Brian. Oh, come on, let's flirt some more. <laughs> All right. Well, I've told you how much I like you. You haven't said what you think of me. Oh, Brian, must you ask as you stand there with your muscles gleaming in the sun? Hey, uh, now, now, let's not talk shop. I, um, I saw you in Wake Island, Brian, and you were adorable. Thanks. Whenever I play a Marine, I try to make him as adorable as possible. With me. Oh, sure, you wouldn't be losing your temper with a pretty little Irish Colleen now, would you? Why shouldn't I do? Well, now, what's this? You'll not be after telling me you're a lass from the owl country. Oh, sure, and don't I look it? Faith in that you do. Oh, sure, and that's because I am. Faith and now, are you? Oh, sure, and I am. Faith. Sure. <laughs> Tell me now, Colleen. What part of the old side are you after hailing from? San Francisco. Oh. <laughs> no, no, that isn't the old country, my girl. I'm from Independence, Missouri. Oh, <laughs> oh you know, Brian, I like you. Thanks. Um, would you care to go out on a double date tonight? Faith in that, I... <laughs> oh, pardon me. Yeah, uh... Yes, I'd be very happy to, Gracie. Oh, good. Meet me in my house at 8 o'clock. It's a big white one on the corner. All right, that's a date. Well, oh, Brian. Yep. Once more. What? Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, goodbye. And that's the first portion of Burns and Allen from 1943. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time we'll have the conclusion to the Burns and Allen Show from January 19, 1943, with special guest Brian Donlevy. Then we will take an eerie train ride with the mysterious traveler from 1944, a show called The Queen of the Cats, starring Maurice Tarplin. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.